So, Rafer. Yes, Kristen. Are you one of those people who kind of posts everything everywhere on Facebook and Twitter and everybody knows your business? Or are you one of those people who tries to live off the grid? Or are you kind of somebody in between? I, um, in kind of a in kind of a random, an arbitrary way, I, I live somewhere in between. I, I loathe Facebook generally. I'm sorry to say that, Facebook listeners, but I can't stand Facebook. <laughs> oh, don't but, say that. We need our Facebook fans. But for some reason, I like Twitter. Uh, and I follow a lot of people on Twitter, and I have a fair amount of followers on Twitter. Um, I'm actually one of those people, and I'm, I'm, we're talking small numbers here, but I have, I'm one of those people who have I have more people following me than I follow. Nice. Took me a while to get there. Very um, nice. But sure. I like I like Twitter. I like following people. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, but but for the most part, I don't. I'm not crazy about Facebook and posting pictures. My wife Anne loves it. She loves 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 it. I just don't. How about you? Well, you're all you're all social media. You are you are basically the, I have the to social... for my job. I yeah. have I have to I have to because I think Facebook is a great place to put movie date out there. I think it's a great place to and you're great um, at it. Thank you, thank you. That's because oh, you look so cute in all the pictures. I forgot to put up this picture. I'm going to put up this picture today of you and a special band that we're going to be talking about later. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes, we took a picture of you with this band that we're going to be talking about later. Okay. Yes. Oh. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. So the light, the light yes. bulb just went off. Yes, that's right. But I'm asking you all this because I think that in today's world, we think a lot about whether or not uh, our online presence, um, our, what we're doing on the phone, what we're doing on the computer, whether or not people are you know, tapping into that, yep. listening to that. Yep. And at the same time, we're frequently putting ourselves out there. And two of the movies that we're talking about today – touch on this issue about yeah. how much we're recording, how much we're taping, how much we're documenting. Surveillance. And, and how much other people are uh, monitoring us. Exactly. So let's talk about both of those movies. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Day. All right. Well, let's start off with uh, closed circuit. Oh, which I always <laughs> I keep calling it a short circuit. You know that movie <laughs> with the, li- the little robot and Ali Sheedy. Yes. Was that back in the eighties? And I've done this so many Boy. times, Rafer. And you can you can back me up on this. I keep calling it short circuit. Short circuit. <laughs> You're not confusing it with Electric Dreams, oh. are you? <laughs> The Can computer you imagine if this was like short circuit and electric dreams? Like, <laughs> am I being monitored? Hello, Kristen. I am your robot helper recording. You. <laughs> no, it's no. neither one of those movies. No, Kristen. this is a different kind of movie. Closed Circuit is a movie that opens with an explosion in London, public area. People are injured, people are killed, and a suspect is brought in who may have masterminded all of this. And in order to figure all of this out, two people, two attorneys working um, on his defense have to figure out all the details of whether or not this is true. Did he really mastermind this? Is there more to this than it appears that there is? And on top of that, there's a little bit of a complication because these two attorneys also have 
a bit of a complicated romantic past with each other. Yes, and they're not supposed to. One, one, is, one is the special advocate, right? Who yes, is, who, that who, is who only sees the top secret evidence and is not supposed to share it with the, with the other defense lawyer. Yeah, they have a different system in England, and they also wear funny wigs. That's but... right, they do. They wear their funny wigs <laughs> and their robes. You can't see that on the podcast, but look up pictures and see the movie if you want to see the funny wigs. But here's a clip. What is she doing here? Ask her yourself. She and I are not allowed to communicate. An exception can be made for the common courtesies. Though evidently not in this case. Until the actual delivery of the closed material, I am permitted to communicate with Mr. Rhodes. Whether or not I choose to do so is another matter. So, Rafer, let's talk about this movie. Right. I would start off by saying this is a very timely subject right now. This is something that... um, is all over the news, almost to the point where when you watch this movie, it may as well just be like opening the newspaper any day yes. of the week. Or it, it has that rip from the headlines feeling, right? T- touching on, I think, um, terrorism, um, government, government secrets, government secrecy, and conspiracies, and and also, um, you know, withholding of evidence, trans- transparency or, or lack thereof yeah. in the justice system. Yes, all of that. There's lots of secret recordings. There's yes. hard drives. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's the secret surveillance, all of these things, and who's on the right side, who's on the wrong side. If you're right. working with the government, does that make you on the right side automatically or not? And uh, Rafer, what did you think about this? Uh, well, uh, we should tell people that the two the two lead stars are, are Eric Bana as uh, Martin Rose. He's the he's the hotshot defense attorney who's going to uh, defend this uh, suspected terrorist terrorist. And uh, Rebecca Hall plays uh, what is her name? Claudia Simmons Howe. She has one of those wonderful <laughs> hyphenated British last names, and she plays. Uh, she's the special advocate. Uh, only she can see certain evidence. Um, Riz Ahmed from um, the Reluctant Fundamentalist yes. uh, shows up in this in this film, and he was the best part of the Reluctant Fundamentalist. He was great, and I love him. I think he's also. Uh, it's not a large role for him, but I think he's great. In I this was movie. glad to see him back. He's just he's such a great looking guy. He's oh, he's charming. beautiful to yeah. look at. Yeah. Oh, I could just look at him all day. Yeah, he's uh, he's good. So I was glad to see him there. Jim Broadbent plays the Attorney General, and so you know it, it's it is it's a very timely, very topical subject. A lot of hot button issues going on in this film. Um, I don't think this film is nearly as smart or serious as it thinks it is. I feel that this, uh, or I guess I would say it is very serious, but it is not very smart. (laughs) I I think this is a really, I think it wants to come on as this really intelligent, labyrinthine, complex Mm -hmm. espionage thriller that's going to delve into all these Big questions, big questions about, you know, government agencies and what should the public know and are we all being watched and is that a good thing and, you know, the terrorism and do we need this kind of security? Do we need this kind of security to protect ourselves from these foreign agents? Uh, but it's really just a a dime novel. It is just airport fiction on on screen and my main problem with it is no one ever does anything in this movie. Mm. Everyone is always just sitting in rooms, staring at each other, <laughs> giving each other these significant looks, lots of meaningful pauses. And I would have been a lot more interested in this movie. And I, I will say this Did too. Did you want more chasing and more guns? Yes. There's and not going to be guns in England. There's not going to be guns in England. 
Oh, I, have you seen a Guy Ritchie film? They have guns in England. Come on. Jason Statham in has England, every gun in England. chasing each other with butter knives. I've got it. I've got the butter knife. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I, here's what I would say. A, a, a dumb script, a, 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 whole, a whole-ridden, rickety, lame-ass espionage script oh. is totally fine. If your stars are going to do something, if they're going to punch people, if they're going to stab people, shoot people, it, it, here's my other, here's my other requisite thing that's got to have. They got to take off each other's clothes. Mm. They have to. There is that one moment where um, there is a touching of a collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Closed circuit. Could have used a little more. Uh, but I mean, if your stars aren't doing anything, if they're just kind of sitting around, Eric Bana, Rebecca Hall, both really good looking. Gorgeous but, people, I mean, yeah. Great looking people, but they don't do a damn thing in this movie. And mm. it's a real slog to me. What did you think? Well, I think it's very, very timely, but I think that that's also one of the downfalls of it. It's also very obvious then because it, it's yeah. so timely. And if we lived in a different time, if we were more naive, if we didn't have the same expectations or... Uh, scrutiny of the government, the same suspicions that we do right now. This might have been really interesting, but right now in this day and age, it feels a little bit too much like a movie that's going to be about food that's going to have the surprise ending of they have preservatives. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, you're kidding me. I can't believe it. The horror, the horror. <laughs> and I also just thought the tempo should have been a lot snappier for this. I think yeah. there should have been some more snap to it. So very timely. Not surprising, not snappy. I, I'm going to say this wasn't a this wasn't a great date. I thought it was a terrible date. Oh, terrible! I thought, I thought this was a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. So let's talk about this other big release that's coming out today. A documentary called Our Nixon, and um, this tells uh, the by now familiar story. I'll, I'll give the I'll give the short version of uh, the Watergate break in that happened during the Nixon administration and 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 led to the downfall of the entire. Regime uh, when uh, Nixon and his his helpmates were uh, found to be involved in a, a break in uh, of uh, Democratic offices and also uh, Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers leaker, the whole swirl of events essentially brought the whole administration down in flames. Um, this is that story told from the camera lenses of three of Nixon's top aides, H.R. Uh, Haldeman, who was his chief of staff, and Dwight Chapin, and John Ehrlichman, all of whom were uh, intensely involved and enmeshed in this whole affair. And they spent a lot of time, uh, unbeknownst to me and I think many people, they spent a lot of time when they were young bucks at the White House walking around with Super 8 cameras, filming each other and filming what they saw. Thousands of hours. Yeah. Thousands uh, and thousands of hours of tapes. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's, you know, uh, it's a it's a, a look into the White House that you don't normally see. I, it, one thing that occurred to me watching this movie is that you would never see uh, people <laughs> doing that today. Oh, I, dis I disagree. I disagree. But here's a clip. I took a camera on all my trips, Super 8. And I have quite a collection of film. I've never laughed as much as when I worked in the Nixon White House. The, the sense of humor was the leveling factor. Things, <laughs> messes we would find ourselves in or whatever it might be. 
Okay, Rafer, you were just saying that nowadays this would never happen. I totally disagree. You think people are walking around videoing things with their iPhones in the in the oval in the I oval office? I, I think everybody is documenting everything now. I think part of what makes this movie so surprising is it comes from a time where we didn't document everything. Could the be. idea of thousands of hours of Super 8 video back then or Super 8 film, that was a shock back then. Yeah, we were uh, really yeah. documenting everything. Nowadays, I think it's really common for people to video every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's – I mean, that's true. I mean, I know what you're situations saying. situations where it's like, really? You're going to videotape that now too? You're I, ju- videotape I just that can't too. believe that any – I can't believe anybody on, on Obama's staff is just walking around filming stuff oh, with, I a, follow, with an iPhone. I follow the Floatus Twitter feed. I see little videos on oh, I'm, oh, I'm sure you get uh, – I'm sure you get thoroughly approved ones, but I just don't <laughs> think you've got some guy randomly whipping out a camera. I, well, anyway, I don't know. But what what did you um, what did you think of this film, Kristen? So I thought that you know this was a different way to look at Watergate because we're looking at it through three people who don't just work with Nixon but really love him deeply. Yeah, they're very close with him. They consider him a and friend. each other. They love each other. These are the best times of their lives. They're, they're you know they're at Trisha Nixon's wedding. They're I mean they are part of the family. They're celebrating Easter together. These people love each other. And then I don't think this is a spoiler. There's this point in the end where Richard Nixon accepts the resignation of H.R. Haldeman, Uh um, which we've all heard many times, probably the tape of where he accepts the resignation. And we then cut away to Haldeman and just how heartbreaking that is. Mm -hmm. And you really see on a personal level, not just on a national level of disintegrating America's trust and uh, our lost innocence and our perceptions of the government and so on. But you see on a very, very personal level how lives were affected by Nixon. And I thought that was great. I thought it was great to see that this wasn't just a global event. It was a person-to-person event. Yeah, that, I think that is kind of interesting. And I think um, <clears throat> I, I liked I – liked, I, I, I sort of liked and didn't like the fact that the movie started out with uh, – uh, they don't know about us. The great uh, oh, yeah. Tracy Tracy Chapman. Uh, it's actually a cover, I think, of a Christy McCall song from the '60s. But um, but uh, excuse me, I said Tracy Chapman. Tracy Ullman's um, cover of that is one of my favorites. And um, so it's and that song is all about love and people that don't understand, you know. But you know they don't they don't know about us. They've never heard of love. And it's, so this is kind of nice pop pop song that opens it up. Um, but I also just felt like. I didn't really feel I mean, with all this with all this incredible archival footage at, at hand, all this great Super 8 footage. I mean, of course, you're not really going to get anything much more than um, shots of the squirrels and the birds outside. There's of the a White lot House. of that. <laughs> Anytime you hear a Watergate tape, you actually see nature outside the White House so, right. every single time. And I and I paid very close attention. I'm like, are we going to only see squirrels and birds? Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of interesting to see these little, these little, uh, and I mean little, you know, three second, four second uh, uh, you know, tableau or whatever you want to call them of someone eating, you know, having a dinner on the plane, um, you know, somebody doing some work at a desk, waving, smiling, uh, two guys filming each other when they're out at uh, the Great Wall of China. Um, they film part of the big uh, uh, theatrical production that's put on for Nixon's benefit. Uh, you know, some of that's kind of interesting, but you're you're not getting anything footage-wise that would that you would call. Oh, you see some surprise things. Performers at the White House who actually turn out to be anti-war protesters. That was, that was like certainly that. yeah, the Ray Conniff singers. Oh um, yeah, that, that was, was great. 
Right. That was really interesting. There were moments of surprise. I mean, I, I, I get what you're think, saying. There's, that's, there's that's a not, lot of them. But that's not from. I don't. I could be wrong. I don't think that's from the 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 Super 8 footage. Oh. That was that was color sound footage, and Super 8 did not have sound. Oh. Um, I'm pretty sure. I I could be wrong about that. But the, most of what you're most of the emotional material that you're getting is coming from the the Watergate tapes, which we've heard before. Um, and in the end, I just really didn't feel like it felt it felt like another uh, a, a, a revisit to a subject that we've all revisited many, many, many times. And I didn't think it was quite fresh or startling enough mm-hmm. as a as a unique vantage point. Mm-hmm. This, this, I, I, it, it sounds so juicy. It sound, I mean, I mean, the, the idea of all this Super 8 home footage from three top Nixon aides sounds so juicy. But in the end, there's not really that much there to look at, and there's not there's not that much there really being revealed to you. I felt so. Is it a bad date for you? I think it's an okay date. I mean, I, I just I you know I'm kind of I'm not really a history buff, but I that that episode is is fascinating to me the way it's fascinating kind of to all Americans. You know, we're all still interested in how this happened um, and why and what it meant, and it and it and it does again drive home the point that. Kind of like what you were saying, you know, no one's surprised anymore <laughs> when the government just pulls something that's just completely horrible and and untrustworthy and offensive and 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 immoral. No one's really surprised anymore, and it's because of Watergate. Yeah, you know. So well, it, I, I would say that this was a fine date. Fine date. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a great date. I think yeah. it's a fine date. And like I said, what really got me was that in the end, that overwhelming feeling of oh. This also hurt humans. It's quite. It's, it, it, yeah. it was individuals also. So, I, I'd say it was a fine date. It sounds like we were pretty close to each other on I, this one. I think so. Right. I think so. Well, um, let's do a really quick hit on a movie that is um, getting some international buzz. Yes, The Grand Master by Wong Kar Wai, and this is a movie that follows the backstory of a real kung fu master who is most famous for training Bruce Lee. His name is Ip Man, and then it stars Tony Leung, and it also stars Jia Zhang, who most of us in the U- U.S. know for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to play a clip of that just because it's uh, subtitled. It's not in English. And for right. most of our listeners, I think most of our listeners wouldn't understand. So um, I just wanted to talk about this very briefly. It's going into wide release today, and the original international version is quite a bit longer, and the version I saw was for U.S. audiences, which um, – Unfortunately, I think felt a little bit choppy. Mm, and, is that right? Yeah, and and it lacked some smoothness. And I will say this though: Are, are you a Wong Kar Wai fan? I'm not. You're actually. not. I'm not. Oh, interesting. I find some him of to our, be much more style than substance. Yeah, some of our listeners are fans of his. We've had. I'm uh, sure. I, th- I, I think it was Victor who wrote in recently to tell us, like, oh, don't forget about the Wong Kar Wai uh, okay. exhibition that's at the Museum of Moving Image, and you know, and so a lot of people like him. Yeah. Um, I think what he does is beautiful, but unfortunately yes. I would agree with you that in this movie, and again, it might be just because it was all chopped apart the way it was, it was a lot of beautiful stuff truncated by in weird ways where it's like, okay, so now I'm sitting here thinking, here I am fighting in slow motion, here I am possibly longing for somebody, here's a war going on, but we're not really seeing the war, we're just kind of alluding to the war, hmm. here's something else really beautiful. And... um do you ever see him train Bruce Lee? No. You don't, you don't see that at all, unfortunately. Then it's I'm really probably, the backstory. Then I'm probably not going to see this movie. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say this was 
uh, I, th- I think if you are okay appreciating just beauty for the sake of beauty, you're going to love this movie. If you need more story, if you need um, a narrative thread, you're not going to like this movie because there's, right. there's just not a narrative thread to this movie. So uh, depending on what you're looking for, it could be a fantastic date or it could be an awful date. I see. I see. I think I know which one it would be for me. <laughs> but we have an awesome date now. A yes. big surprise, which we should have probably mentioned at the top that we have a very special guest for today's podcast. We are going to be talking to uh, the director, the documentary filmmaker, Morgan Spurlock, uh, the man who brought us Super Size Me and uh, Where in the World is Osama Bin Laden and many others, including his, his newest one, One Direction, This Is Us. When you go on tour, the outfit you've got, the outfit you're stuck with, so I'm going to be wearing these clothes for a good eight months now. Weird when I'm There's been times when they've dressed us all in the same clothes and we're like, no, we, we can't do that. This is the I'm going to rob your nan look. <laughs> this is his, uh, Morgan Spurlock's surprise move to directing a boy band documentary. So, Morgan Spurlock, we're so thrilled to have you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And here's a question for you. It's yes. not a new question. I'm sure everybody is asking you this question right sure. now. You're the guy who did Supersize Me. You're mm-hmm. the guy who has done political investigative documentaries. You yeah. you do a lot of uh, questioning of authority figures. Mm-hmm. And now, One Direction. Yeah. This is us. What, what inspired you to make this big change? Well, I think it's, I don't think it's a change. I mean, I think, you know, I also made a film about uh, San Diego Comic-Con, about, you know, one of the largest pop culture conventions in the world and, and, the, and the massive fandom that surrounds that. And, you know, I made a film with Will Arnett and Jason Bateman all about manscaping. So I feel like that, uh, <laughs> that it's not, uh, you know, it's not just polemics that have kind of driven my career, but more things that I think are, are funny ideas or good ideas. And this is one of those opportunities that when I first heard about it, when Sony called me and, and asked to approach me about making the film, and I knew about the band, this this band who were about to be kicked off a talent show, who then got put together, and you know, three years later, now one of the biggest bands on earth. You know, I, I said that's a great story. It's like, why would you not want to tell that story? And were you a boy band fan before this movie? No, I mean, I've never been much of a boy band fan. You know, it's like uh, I'm a pop music fan. Like I always grew up loving and listening to pop music, um, but was not, you know, an NKOTB fan or uh, <laughs> see how I pulled that out. Like I pulled out nice. a little NKOTB right there, smooth, nice. smooth, or uh, or an NSYNC or Backstreet Boys fan. But uh, but I was a big pop music fan. And why? Tell me this. Uh, Sony has come to you before, I think. To well, direct. the Paramount. Paramount came to me. Paramount, um, yes. Yeah, uh, twice. Uh, I got approached uh, to come meet with them again. I was probably on a list of about a dozen directors that they went to um, to come meet with them, both about the Bieber film or, and the Katy Perry film. And both those times uh, with with Bieber, when I got when I got approached to meet with them about that film, I was doing the greatest movie ever sold at the time. Um, you know, was in the process of chasing brands to come on to sponsor that film. Couldn't do it. And then with the Katy Perry film, we were finishing both Comic-Con and Mansom last year when uh, when that opportunity came up. And I was like, there's no way I can add a third movie. So when, when I got called by the studio with this one, and I had no movie in production, no movie in development, I was like, this is the third time. This is the third time like opportunity has knocked on my door. It's like, I, I have to open it this time. Why do you think they were coming to you? What, what was it they saw in you or in your movies that made them think that you'd be right to direct essentially yeah. a, a pop concert film? Sure. Well, I think I think that... 
if you look all my films, I think if you look at all my docs, all the way from Super Size Me to Where in the World's Osama Bin Laden, the greatest movie ever sold, to Freakonomics, uh, to Mansum, to Comic Con. I mean, we make pop docs already. I mean, I think we we make um, documentaries, you know, sometimes about difficult subjects that are easy to digest by a larger, um, you know, non-doc population. You know, I've, I've always tried to create movies that would expand beyond a doc audience and bring people into watching films that normally wouldn't see a documentary. And I think that, uh, you know, from Sony's point of view, they saw that as um, something that could translate into a different audience for them as well. Like, here's a, here's a band that already has a massive built-in fan base. Now how do you try and get people that are outside of that fan base to see this movie? And I think that's uh, that's part of what they were going for. Now, I have to say about the fans, yeah. that was one of the most interesting things about this movie to me. Yes. Where everywhere they go, they're greeted by... Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of fans. Have you ever seen anything like that? Never, never in my life. And I've told people, I have no idea what Beatlemania must have been like back in the 60s when it was really kind of at its heyday and people were chasing these guys down the road. But this is the closest thing that I've ever seen in my lifetime to what I can only imagine that was. Everywhere they go, there. we were in Mexico City and there were like 4,000, 5,000 girls camped outside the hotel for days. For five days straight, they were outside the hotel. Uh, they would get on the bus and leave after a gig and girls are sprinting down the street, chasing the bus, crying, tears running down their <laughs> tears streaming down their face. And I mean, it was it was crazy. It was it was unlike anything I've ever experienced or witnessed. I was going to ask, what do you what would you say you learned about the music industry. Uh, I always think it's fascinating to watch yeah. pop documentaries because I always learn something about the music industry. What, what, what would you say you learned while making well, I mean, this? I think, I think you realize... I think you realize a couple things when you see this film is you realize the power of uh, of this new generation of consumers. And it's not a new thing, but I think you really do see it um, in pop music today. Like, there is a tremendous amount of power in, like, this youth generation that... Uh, that you know will will drive a worldwide tour like with these guys um, uh, that will uh, push audiences out to see this movie this weekend, um, and it's massive. Um, it is a large group of folks that have that have interestingly enough year over the years continued to be catered to more and more um, by uh, by the music business because they and not, but not just in, but not just music business but by the movie business by the TV business um, across the board. Entertainment has realized that this is a demographic that they had underserved for so long. Yeah, and yeah. I, I have to say there's one point in the movie that I found especially touching because mm-hmm. you show these girls in moments of mass hysteria, going yes. nuts, crying, falling down, and yeah. and then you get little bits of testament from each of them, a, right. a testimony about why it is that these five boys that they've never met matter to them. And right. one of them says, and it just broke my heart, she said, they say the things to me that no boy will ever say to me. My, my favorite line in the movie. Mine too, and it yeah. just, and I thought... Oh, this is why boy bands exist. That's right. This is why boy bands exist, and this is why this particular group is so successful, and just for that one line. Just that one line, but that one line sums it up, because I love when, you know, people will slag on this band, and they'll say things about them, and I'll say, what's wrong, what's so terrible about a group that makes music, that makes an entire generation of young girls feel good about themselves? You know, in a world where, you know, these girls are told every day, you're fat, you're unattractive, you're not good enough, you're inadequate. Um, and here's this group that makes these girls suddenly have self-esteem that feel like they're a part of something, like they're a part of this group, this tribe that, um, you know, creates real positivity within them. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's a great thing. And was it a deliberate choice to not actually show any of the band members' romantic lives behind the scenes? Well, it, it was a choice. And early on, the biggest reason, two of the guys in the band have full-time girlfriends and have for a long time, both Zane and Louie. But, yeah, um, Zane got engaged the same week just, the movie was starting to go engaged, into. Yeah, just yeah. got engaged last week. But, you know, Liam had a girlfriend at the time. 
Um, and my fear was these kids are 19 to 21. You know, the, when you're 19, 21, you change girlfriends like you change pants. You know, it's like the, it's like the last thing I wanted to have was suddenly these guys are dating somebody and we're making this a part of the story. And then suddenly they break up. And now, like, now I have to close that storyline. From my standpoint, the better story to tell is their relationship with one another. These five guys, how they support one another, how they become like this group of this family of brothers that are there to kind of keep each other grounded and and get through like the hard times and, and understand what it's like to deal with fame on this level. Um, and I'm glad, and I made the right choice because halfway through us shooting, Liam broke up with his girlfriend, and so uh. and I but and I think the the line that he says in the film for me is much more the the relationship story when it comes to being in a group like this. Um, there's a scene on the bus where we're interviewing Liam. And he goes, "I just want somebody to love me for me." He goes, "I want somebody to see me not for all this." And you got to think like put yourself in the mind of that kid now. Or you're here, you are. You're a multimillionaire, world famous pop pop star. How do you suddenly find somebody who? doesn't care about any of that. It's like, oh, no, I just love that guy. Good luck with that. You know, that is going to be so over there. You're going to go to Papua New Guinea and try and find somebody <laughs> who's, like, never heard your music. It's like, I don't, I don't know where you go to find that person who's kind of so disconnected that they don't know who you are. These guys are so famous. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Well, speaking of the, you know, the fickleness of, of adolescence, yeah. uh, you know, the, sta- the standard line is that, you know, a, a, a boy band like this is going to have a career of maybe five years. Yeah. You know, the, these these kids are going to outgrow them and eventually they'll become sort of mildly embarrassed at the fact sure. that they ever liked these guys. Yeah. Um, there have been a few that have stuck around. I mean, well, the Beatles, obviously. Um, even Duran Duran has done pretty well for itself. For a long time. Keeping up that fan base. Yeah. What do you think about these guys? Well, I tell you something really interesting. Um, when I first went to see the band last uh, last June, I flew to Charlotte, North Carolina. That was where I first met them. Um, and that audience, the audience of Charlotte, that show was packed full of young girls. Girls probably, you know, 11 to 17. That was like the whole 19,000 11 to 17-year-olds oh, wow. screaming like a jet engine, you know, taking off 120 decibels of, ah! Right. And what had happened, and then when we, they kicked off their world tour in February... And we're at the O2 Arena. Suddenly, in eight months, something had shifted. Now, there were still young girls there um, at the matinees predominantly. But at the night shows, about half of the 20,000 people were this. And then there was a huge contingency. The other half was a huge contingency of 18 to 34-year-old women. Like, suddenly, their age grew. They They aged up into a different demographic. Um, in just that little bit of time, which was fascinating. That is interesting. In Mexico City, when we went to the show there, about one in every eight people in the crowd were guys. Oh. And not just like a dad, not just like a dad with their daughter, not a guy with his girlfriend, not like just a group of gay guys that were there to check it out, (laughs) but like guys in packs who ultimately, I think, are infinitely smarter than every other guy in America, because here are these packs of guys that (laughs) were were like, that were probably like, where are all the girls tonight? Oh, they're at the One Direction concert. We should probably go there. You know, it's (laughs) Like I, I think if they if they could find a way to cater and start to attract a an older audience and a male audience, I mean, oh my god, it could, they could be around forever. Sure, sure. Yeah. Just, just the way, just the way all the all the hard rock bands eventually had to try to cater to the female audience. Yes. Try and try and broaden out the opposite <laughs> yeah. the opposite way. Right. So after this movie, are you thinking you're going to do uh, something totally unexpected and wild that we, we aren't even imagining? You're going to do more concert movies? What are you thinking is next you know, after this? Yeah, the, you know, the next thing after this, um, you know, I mean, I've been really lucky that I've been able to kind of balance doing um, you know, commercial fare with still some, some more investigative stuff. Like we did a great show for CNN called Inside Man that we just finished mm-hmm. the first season yeah. of. So you know, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get to do a, you know, a second season of that. Um, but for me, on the heels of this, you know, I would uh, film-wise, you know, we've talked about you know doing a larger scripted film, you know, narrative films. So I would like to go from 
I had a great relationship and a great experience doing a studio movie with this one. Um, so I would love to do a studio film, a scripted studio movie after this film. Will you uh, be in the movie yourself? No, and I probably not. I think this is a, you know just just like I had I had the uh, the benefit of having five very attractive men in a film for the first time with this movie. So you know <laughs> nobody had to look at this ugly mug. So uh, hopefully you know uh, that with the, whatever the, the scripted film will be, I'll be able to fill it with very attractive actors and actresses so that. Uh, People won't get get slayed by this mustache anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to seeing that. Morgan Spurlock, thank you so much for being here. Great seeing you. Thank you. I can't believe that we just talked with Morgan Spurlock, and um, it was about a boy band movie. Yes, I know. That was know. great. That it's was a strange great. world. It's a strange world. <laughs> that was great. And uh, before we go today, we want to just uh, have trivia. And last week, in honor of The Spectacular Now, we asked uh, Shailene Woodley, the female lead in that movie, we asked how she rose to fame, what TV show she was on, and who played her mom on the show. Her mom was once a teen superstar, and here's the correct answer. Hi, my name's Jessica, and I'm calling from Hastings-on-Hudson, New York, and um, we watch your uh, movie date every time we take a road trip, I mean, listen to it, and I was calling about the trivia, um, so I know Shailene Woodley is from The Secret Life of the American Teenager, which I watched when I was in middle school, and that her mom was played by Molly Ringwald from 16 Candles, and you guys rock. Um, okay, cool. Bye. Jessica, you sound so young. <laughs> you yeah, were... Kristen, do the, you do the math for I us mean, on how you, old Jessica you, must you be. You said you were watching The Secret Life of the American Teen in middle school. What Wasn't The Secret Life of the American Teen on up, in, <laughs> up until two years ago still on the air? <laughs> I thought it still was on the air. Oh, my God. It might still be. So, Jessica, thank you. Yes, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, however old you are. We, we love having listeners of all ages. So thank you so much for listening. Completely. And what's this week's trivia question, Rafer? This week's trivia question uh, because we have been discussing uh, One Direction with uh, Morgan Spurlock, uh, One Direction being the hot British boy band of the moment. Um, there have been many other uh, boy bands that have uh, made movies, uh, manufactured boy bands, we should say, which is always a common criticism of, uh, of boy bands. Uh, here is one, and we'd like you to tell us who this boy band is and what is this movie? Somebody have to be in the bottom. Well, I'm the tallest and the strongest. So you're in the bottom. I, oh, well. Everybody's where they want to be. Yeah. That is a particularly inept thing to say. Peter, considering that we are in a vacuum cleaner. If you know that boy band and that movie, call 5717movies. Or you can log on to facebook.com slash movie date podcast. You're insecure. Don't know what for. You're turning heads when you walk through. 